Hello, and welcome to ABS in Mind, the podcast from the staff here at DebtWire ABS. We'll take you behind the curtains of the asset-backed securities markets and the loans that they help finance. I'm Al Yoon, and I'll be hosting today. Hello, and thanks for joining us on this latest episode of ABS in Mind. Today is Thursday, July 9th, and I'm Al Yoon, your host. Uh, the structured products that we discuss on this podcast have become much more interesting in the past few months uh, for reasons that nobody wanted, of course, and uh, that's the disturbing impact that this pandemic is having on mortgage and other consumer debt. Uh, so today we're going to hear directly from someone with a stake in this market, or skin in the game, as people like to say. Uh, joining us is Paul Norris, head of structured products at Conning where insurance and pension money make up its $168 billion of AUM. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Paul. Thanks, Al. Great to be here. Thanks. Um, so, Paul, you've had a view of the markets and the world in January, uh, or before COVID really blew up, let's put it that way. And I expect that that's been upended. Um, so just in general, tell us what it's been like managing structured products over the past few months. Uh, it's been uh, very fun. Uh, I don't know if I'd, <laughs> I'd, use, uh, I'd use that with quotes, but uh, it's been very challenging. And, and you know, it's, it's been an opportunity uh, and both a challenge. And, you know, when we came into before COVID, you know, frankly, spreads were very tight. Markets were very complacent. And so it was hard to really find good value. And COVID really hit, um, you know, obviously like a storm and, and really changed markets in terms of spreads and opportunities and turned everything on its head. So I think, you know, what we're trying to figure out is, yes, there's plenty of opportunities. And we saw a lot of those opportunities um, come in March. And we've seen since then spreads tighten quite a bit. But there's also a lot of sectors that still have some value. And, you know, it's really about figuring out how the post-COVID world is going to look and what sectors are going to be impacted uh, in terms of valuations and, you know, residential mortgages, uh, commercial mortgages, asset-backed securities all have, uh, you know, different impacts uh, from COVID. And so, we're just trying to get a good feel for how the world's going to look after uh, COVID and, and what that means for the spreads in the markets that we operate in. Right. I mean, I have to say as a reporter, uh, what I find interesting is that in January and February, you said spreads were so tight. And well, you know, as a reporter too, there were, we didn't find many people with many different views. It seemed like everybody was on one side. Right. And right now, there's lots of different opinions about most asset classes out there, uh, which... Uh, you know, can make it, you know, challenging, but uh, I mean, obviously as, as you know, for you guys, I mean, points, you know, you find opportunities where others are missing those. So that's, uh, that's what we want to talk about today, I think. Um, Good thing, I mean, now, I, I would agree with you. So let's take a bite out of some of these markets. And uh, I want to start with residential mortgages, uh, where I know Connie has an interest because uh, I saw you uh, just uh, late last year at that uh, debut IMN non-QM conference in LA. And um, so in general, looking at non-QM, non-agency mortgages, uh, what did you think of the opportunity uh, in non-QM then? And what do you think of it now, generally speaking? 
Um, we, we still like non-QM paper a lot. I mean, it's really subject to the name uh, and doing your due diligence on, you know, each issuer and, and security. But generally speaking, we like the sector quite a bit. Um, we thought that was the sector, frankly, where we were the most active um, when COVID hit uh, and purchasing securities as, as much as we could, frankly, um, because we thought at the time that, you know, to use the term that people have used before, but throwing the baby out with the bathwater, there was just a lot of opportunities because uh, in terms of uh, money managers having to raise cash, so they were selling shorter AAA paper that we thought were money good based on any stress test that we could put on it, as well as, um, you know, some of those using uh, financing where they were getting their lines pulled and they also had to, to sell bonds. So, you know, when we saw yields and spreads really gap out, um, we thought that that was a great opportunity to, to add to our portfolio. Um, but once you get down, now that things have sort of returned and we're seeing, um, you know, a, a spiking of, um, of uh, delinquencies, you know, we're just trying to be a little bit more careful. So I would say that for us, you know, we're looking between single A and triple or single A and, and, and triple A for the best value. Um, we also think that in terms of forbearance, you know, we think that that's actually a great strategy and that's, that's worked really well. And part of the reason that these delinquencies are spiking is because more and more people are using the forbearance option. But what's interesting in our mind is that the forbearance option means that technically most shelves qualified that borrower as delinquent. But what we're seeing in our remittance reports and what we're hearing uh, from our conversations with servicers is that almost 50% of those borrowers are current on their mortgage. But because they continue to elect forbearance, um, they have to be categorized as such. So you have many of these borrowers that are taking forbearance yet continuing to make their payments, um, which is which is very fascinating. Okay, I did want to ask you about that because uh, when I've looked at uh, remittance reports, uh, you see some of these early stage delinquencies, uh, you know, above 20% on, on certain deals. And, you know, I mean, right. by most measures, that's pretty shocking. But, uh, you know, when I talk to people like you, I mean, it's, you know, people aren't, you know, uh, are fleeing the market because of that. And in fact, you know, when you look at the where primary deals are getting done, um, People actually seem to really, really like the market, right? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the reality is that most of us that have been through the great financial crisis and the subprime meltdown, so to speak, know that this time is a little bit different. And, and why is it different? Really, there's there's probably four or five main reasons. But one is people have more equity in their homes. Um, they put more down on their homes post financial crisis better underwriting. Um, and, and the last two things that I think are really important for what we're facing right now is that, you know, Fannie and Freddie went out and put in place a foreclosure moratorium. Um, they put in place forbearance plans and most of the non-agency uh, servicing community followed that lead and, you know, granted people forbearance for three or six months. And why is that important? Uh, it's important because you're really, um, kind of like we've approached this COVID thing where we've all talked about or heard um, people talk about flattening the curve. That's what's happening here. 
So okay. at least for the next 12 months, you're going to see a really flat uh, forbearance uh, or sorry, uh, foreclosure action, which should support home prices. And as long as home prices are supported and people have equity in their homes, they're going to fight to stay in their homes and fight to make those payments. And you know, that's kind of our thesis at a very high level. Okay. Just to be a little bit of, uh, skeptical about, uh, you know, the outlook, I mean, uh, we didn't have talked about the employment picture either. Uh, mm -hmm. You have the Fed, you know, expecting unemployment rate, uh, you know, well above 9%, uh, near 10% uh, towards the end of this year. Um, you know, we're seeing the cases of COVID spike uh, in certain parts of the country. Um, and economies, local economies having a hard time getting back on track. Um, you know, there's still a level of caution out there, you know, despite all the positives you've listed for non-QM, right? Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that. I mean, there's always uh, something to worry about. I think, you know, the next, and I don't think it's going to be a straight line now in terms of uh, spreads and delinquencies. I think it's going to be very bouncy. Um, and, and a couple of things that we think about, you know, there's a, a key date coming up, and that's July 31st. Um, we have to keep in mind that the government um, put out, you know, trillion-plus dollars of uh, stimulus, and that stimulus has made it into the hands of these borrowers. And most of the borrowers that are unemployed today due to the stimulus that was put out there uh, are actually making more money. So... You know, if you were making 50, 60 grand before and below with the stimulus, uh, extra $600 a week you get plus your unemployment, you're actually making more today than you did before. And that's an important concept to keep in mind. So the key risk in my mind is that after July 31st, do we see another stimulus plan? So if not, I do think that we could see uh, a potential spread widening, a potential uh, rise in delinquencies. But I think uh, the government will, again, because the crisis um, will have come back, will, again, uh, dig into their pocketbooks and do another stimulus plan. Um, hey, I know, I know that, that is uh, definitely being talked about on Capitol Hill, sure. So that's kind of, you know, what we're thinking about in terms of, you know, the yes, there could be more issues, there could be problems, um, but it's an otherwise, it was an otherwise healthy market going into that. It's, it's quite unlike the great financial crisis where, you know, uh, we were just seeing so much fraud in the system, both from, you know, lenders and borrowers, where they were over levered and, and um, un un unable to make their payments. Um, okay. So that's kind of our approach at this point. Okay. Um, Paul, you mentioned that uh, you guys were trying to buy, you know, pretty much as much as you could before the, the crisis hit uh, in non-QM and residential credit. Um, you know, what do you think of uh, the different uh, shelves out there? I mean, I know you can't uh, discuss specific names with me, but uh, is there uh, much tiering going on in the market? Because, uh, you know, I'm hearing from others that, uh, you know, they're, you know, very varied opinions uh, from issuer to issuer in terms of uh, the quality of the deal. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like anything out. Um, we definitely have our opinion on the issuers uh, and shelves that we like, and there's some that we avoid. And what I would say is that we're particularly uh, sensitive to the borrowers that are 
you know, six-month bank statement that are self-employed. So, you know, for this, for some of the shells that might bring a deal that has a lot of self-employed borrowers with very little documentation, you know, we're not, we're not big fans of that. Um, so we try to limit ourselves to the shelves that are, um, you know, catering to the borrower who has the documentation, um, but maybe needs a little bit other help uh, in terms of getting a mortgage. Um, so we prefer to avoid uh, investor loans. We prefer to avoid um, those self-employed borrowers with, with not enough documentation that, that we think um, should, should be there. Okay. Uh, Paul, tell us about uh, what you think about non-QM uh, lending and deals going forward. Um, you know, we've written at DebtWire about several lenders, uh, you know, sort of getting back online with uh, non-QM products and uh, um, more conservative products uh, for the most part. Um, so right. I'm not quite sure what kind of volume we'll see, but uh, what do you expect there? I, you know, I thought you said something, you know, more uh, better borrowers, I guess, um, kind of reading between the lines of what you were saying. I think that issuance is going to be particularly limited because the credit box is going to be much smaller. I also think an important component, you know, that we saw during the, during the COVID uh, march where spreads widen is that there's not going to be enough. I don't think there's going to be uh, enough warehousing uh, from the dealer community to uh, support, uh, you know, a lot of non-QM lenders. As you recall, during the the height of the COVID crisis, when spreads were really gapping wider, you know, basically the dealers were closing down warehouse lines for many of these non-QM lenders, and that, frankly, is the lifeblood um, for these guys to continue to issue uh, mortgages. Uh, or sorry, originate mortgages. And without that capital, you know, many of these smaller conduit players um, can't continue to issue. So you're going to be left with the bigger guys who probably come back and they're going to be much more conservative. Um, and so I think issuance because of that is going to be much less in the second half of the year. Okay. Does that mean uh, that you've got a potential sort of supply technical going in the market as well? We think so. Um, you know, we think the demand for these will continue up in the capital structure. So let's call that single A to triple A. Um, okay. And we think that there's going to be limited supply in the market and that should continue to compress spreads. Okay. And uh, regarding the deals that have come out in the past month or so, they've got, uh, you know, different structures. They've been tweaked uh, a little bit. I mean, do you think that that was necessary in order to draw investors back to the market, you know, such as uh, making the, uh, the senior classes all sequential pay? I think that was a helpful first step, um, you know, meaning the market was very shaky at that, at that particular time. Investors weren't sure exactly what kind of collateral they were getting. And, and remember, you know, quite a few of these deals had, you know, 20, 30, 40% uh, loans with forbearance on them. So I think it was a, a bit of a trade-off, meaning that, you know, the for the AAA buyers or the AA buyers, you know, in return for taking on those extra loans with forbearance on them, the ask from investors was change this uh, structure back to a sequential type of structure. So at least I know that 
at the AAA and the AA level, I have a really good idea of what my weighted average life is going to look back, look like, and I know that I'm going to delever um, very quickly. So I think that was important at that point in time. Um, if it continues, okay. I'm not exactly sure to be to be honest with you. Okay, and uh, just uh, quickly skipping around on non-agency uh, mortgages, uh, what are your thoughts on on the prime jumbo side? Um, I don't think you guys have been uh, active there as well. Am I right? Yeah, I mean we we are right now. We like the from a relative value standpoint. We think um, prime jumbo looks pretty uh, pretty good. Um, for us, we're really at this point um, trying to stick with a more um, top part of the capital structure. So we're focused on AAA. We're focused on pass-throughs. Um, we'll look at some of the last cash flows on some of these deals. But we think the AAAs are particularly attractive um, given the spreads that we're offering, uh, given the spreads that we're seeing on some of the bigger-name deals. Um, but we're also very mindful of prepayments. Uh, so you know, given how fast prepayments uh, are likely to be and have been, um, you know, we want to be mindful of the dollar price that we're paying for these bonds. So for now, we're really more focused on the new issue market um, as opposed to the secondary. And, and we're agnostic usually between the two. You know, we, we like to play in both markets uh, and not just focus on one. But right now, given the dollar prices and some of the secondary bonds, it, it really limits our ability to, to purchase uh, those bonds. Okay. Thanks, Paul. Um, uh, we spent uh, the past several minutes now talking about uh, mortgages, uh, but there are a lot of other uh, asset classes and structured products as well. And, um, you know, just in the uh, interest of time, I wanted to skip over to the unsecured consumer loan sector. Mm -hmm. uh, that's something that has been, been growing uh, quite a bit over the past few years. And uh, I think even before the, the COVID crisis hit, you know, there were investors telling us, uh, you know, they were worried about uh, you know, the quality of these loans and, you know, what will happen if the economy hits a, hits a, a bump because, after all, it's an unsecured debt. Um, what do you think of the, uh, uh, the bonds there or the loans there, Paul? On the, uh, on the unsecured consumer, correct? Yes. Yeah, I mean, we think that it's really a kind of a tale of two markets. Um, you know, some would agree with us, some wouldn't. Uh, and, and kind of what we're focused on is, you know, there's brick and lender, um, brick and mortar, sorry, type of lenders that have been around for over 100 years, um, you know, where they have a relationship with the borrower. And we think that's really important in that at some point, borrowers are going to have to make a choice if, if we don't get stimulus about who they're going to pay back on their loans. And our thesis is very simple, that many of these uh, fintech lenders that operate in the marketplace lending, unsecured consumer market, do not have a relationship with these borrowers. Um, and so if the borrower doesn't have enough capital to pay all his bills, we think that the, 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 the lender who's going to get um, the short end of the stick and not receive their payment is likely to be one of these fintech lenders. The other thing that's particularly worrisome uh, in, in some of our research is that many of, we believe, many of the borrowers who took out um, these loans from some of the either business uh, lenders or the consumer fintech lenders 
are really those uh, self-employed borrowers that are operating, you know, a, a single person type of business. And we think that those, unfortunately, those borrowers are particularly vulnerable. So the combination of it being a young industry, a young business that hasn't really proven itself through a crisis, plus the borrower base that they're operating in, just makes us uh, particularly cautious at this time on that sector. Does that mean you're avoiding it altogether or you can pick your spot still? Um, for now, we're, you know, we've, we've stayed away from it. Um, but we're not saying we wouldn't, uh, you know, I wouldn't say we wouldn't invest in it, but it's got to be the right deal, right issuer, uh, right spread level, right price. Okay. Um, and just to close it out, I wanted to ask you about uh, some of the uh, esoteric corners of the ABS market. Um, a couple of play areas where uh, there's a lot of yield, but uh, you know there's always risk to go along with that yield. Um, right. You know, such as uh, aircraft securitizations, for instance. I mean, that's just uh, you know been beset with negative news that sector for for months now. Um, just today, I just I saw a headline: Coral Bond Rating Agency downgraded a bunch of uh, aviation ABS. Um, you know, do you have any thoughts on that sector about uh, you know whether it's safe to get into that, or I mean, what's the opportunity there? And that's a sector where we feel like um, that's a bond-by-bond bond decision. Um, so certainly the aircraft sector is having trouble and will continue to have trouble for, you know, a period of time. Um, you know, there's statistics like the percent of uh, commercial uh, passenger fleet that's in storage, you know, it dropped from, you know, let's say 70% to, you know, in storage, or sorry, it went from only 10% in storage to, you know, 60% of those planes are in storage. And, and that's slowly coming back. And everyone sees the TSA air traffic um, or air passenger traffic. That's slowly coming back. So uh, the answer for us is that not all deals were created equal. Um, the collateral in the deals is really important. So we think wide bodies are particularly vulnerable here. Um, and so, you know, where there's deals that are from really good uh, lessors, um, backed by narrow body planes uh, with a good geographic concentration, we think those are, you know, at least at the single A level, we think those are going to be money good. Um, and, you know, we would look to, you know, continue to invest in that sector, again, with the right deal and, and at the right price. because. You know, our thesis is that eventually air traffic is going to come back. It's it's not going to be as if people are going to Zoom for their entire rest of their lives. Um, people will want to go on vacation. People will want to meet. They'll have to develop new business. So that just means finding the right airlines and finding the right lessors um, and, and and doing your homework. So we think there's opportunities there, but it's you got to be very selective. Yeah, I mean, I thought that uh, for sure travel would uh, start to rebound too. And I was reading stories about, uh, you know, increased bookings by airlines in July and August. Uh, and then, boom, we saw that ugly headline about United considering uh, 36,000 furloughs. So, um, right. you know, there's still a lot to be hammered out there. Uh, no question about it. Um, yeah, we, anyway. we totally agree. And that's why it's, you know, good to be selective in that particular case. 
Okay, good to be selective. I mean, that pretty much applies to everything that we've been talking about today. I know that, you know, you guys have been at it for a long time. And so I look forward to hearing more about, um, you know, what you're doing on a future call. Um, hopefully you'll join us again. Oh, absolutely. So, but for now, I think that's about all the time we have for uh, this episode of ABS in Mind. I want to thank Paul Norris uh, from Conning for joining us. And uh, we'll talk to everybody again uh, in a couple of weeks. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Al. Take care. Thanks for listening to ABS in Mind. If you're hungry for the skinny on asset-backed bonds, residential and commercial mortgage debt, consider DebtWire.com or just tune in here next time. Also look to us on social media. Thank <laughs> you.